Do you stand now and join me as we read God's word together? Keep those hands held high if you'd like a zest quest. They'll come around and get those to you. We are this morning in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. You'll find the passage there printed in your bulletin. This is the song of Mary. It's the song of Mary. It is a hymn of praise to God. Upon Mary receiving the good news of God's plan to bring his Messiah into the world through her. Listen carefully now as Mary speaks to us. Listen carefully to God's word through her and for us this Christmas Eve morning. Luke 1, verses 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, that is her relative Elizabeth, for about three months, and then returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray as we come to your word now that you would speak to us through your servant Mary, particularly for us this morning. We pray once again, God, that you would reassure us, that you would convict us, that you would enlighten our minds and hearts that you would help us to know more deeply the love that you have shown to us in the coming of your son Jesus and his plan, your intent, to restore the cosmos, the whole world, through him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, this is, uh, this is Mary's song. It's, in church history, it's called the Magnificat, which is a Latin word drawn from Mary's opening line here. My soul magnifies the Lord. Mary's song is a hymn of praise to God. It is patterned almost directly after praise hymns that we find in the Old Testament Psalms. As you'll read it, you'll notice that there is here praise to God for him accomplishing his work. Praise to God for doing great things. Praise to God for his work in keeping his promises. Praise to God for his enacting of salvation. The difference here is that unlike the Psalms of the Old Testament, this hymn is not the song of an official. It doesn't come from the mouth of a king or the pen of a prophet or uh, the high official, the, the leading musician in Israel's temple. This is the song of a teenage girl, somewhere between the ages of 12 and 16, Pregnant, unmarried, 
from a small rural Galilean village, a girl who is vulnerable in so many ways, and yet here she is extolling the power and the grace of God as Luke presents her to us, which is as the first Christian disciple. Mary is the first to hear and to trust in the name of Jesus. She is the first to receive him into her life as he comes to her. There's a lot of talk these days about the value of vulnerability. The value of being vulnerable. The value of allowing ourselves, our true selves, weaknesses and all, to be seen, to be known, to come out of hiding. To open ourselves up to correction and failure and rejection on one hand and on the other to to love, to connection, to change. Vulnerability is, as a word, it's very, very in vogue. You'll read about it in literature from relationship health all the way to business practice, leadership practice. It is in vogue in theory. It is very, very difficult in practice. Just to illustrate for a moment, my wife um, recently had a conversation with a woman that she, she had not known previously. They had just come out of a workout class together at the local YMCA. It's amazing how suffering together will kind of open things up for you sometimes. <laughs> and the woman shared about her story of just moving here. She had moved here two years prior and was just getting settled from the West Coast. And she said, you know, things have been really challenging, especially with one of her, her, her kids. He had struggled, school-aged child, with anxiety. And she said that she had opened up about her struggle to one of her closest friends, whom she considered her closest friends, new friends here in town. And the friend, upon hearing her struggler, said to her, Honey, we don't share those kinds of things around here. We don't share those kinds of things around here. That's not our way. As you can imagine, it crushed her, made her feel very, very alone. I'm sure some of you have felt something like that, instances where you've exposed yourself, where vulnerability has proven painful, costly, not the way that we tend to do things around here. Dr. Brene Brown, who is a research professor and a Texan, if that lends any credibility to her this morning, has studied for over a dozen years the interplay between vulnerability and shame, and she says this, the difficult thing about vulnerability is that it's the first thing that I look for in you and the last thing I'm willing to show you. When I see it in you, I see courage, I see daring, but in me, I see it as weakness and shame. In other words, good in practice. I mean, excuse me, good in theory. Good in theory when it has to do with you. Very, very difficult in practice personally. What does all this have to do with Mary's song this morning? Well, as I mentioned, the Magnificat is a song of praise, but it is praise that comes from a very specific place. It is praise that rises from and gives voice to the vulnerable. It is praise born out of God acting in the crucible of human weakness and human need. And Mary is saying to us that if you want to really extol God, if you want to know him, if you want to magnify him, if you want to experience the joy and wonder of him entering into our world, the joy and wonder of Christmas, not just in theory but in practice, then we need to learn to see ourselves 
among the vulnerable, among those in deep need of him. Because this is exactly where God is at work. He is at work among the vulnerable, not just to restore the vulnerable to him, but to restore the entire universe, the cosmos, to himself. Two things I want you to see this morning through Mary's song. I first want you to see Mary's condition. I want you to see how she thinks of herself, her own self-attestation, how she sees herself. And second this morning, I want us to look at Mary's confidence, how she sees God, how she sees herself, and then secondly, how she sees God. First, look at me at Mary's condition. Notice how Mary describes herself, especially at the beginning of her hymn. Mary writes at the beginning, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on, notice the phrase here, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Literally, the low estate of his handmaid, that is the low estate of his female slave. Now as a quick aside, if you are here this morning and you have real doubts about the reliability of the Bible, real doubts about whether you can trust narratives like these, stories like these to be more than just stories, but to be true stories written, here's some food for thought. Just consider when you read the gospel stories how unpopular the gospel writers depict their main characters. How unpopular the gospel writers depict their main characters. So take Mary, for example. In the ancient world, to author a document that tells the story of the God of the universe coming, sending his Messiah into the world without proper honor and glory, and then to do so by being born of a female slave, well, let me tell you, that was not a selling point. In fact, there's evidence even in second century writings that those outside the faith are still grappling with the fact that to them, Mary seems like a concubine because of the word she uses here. This is a stumbling block. And so if you are writing a story, why not edit it out? Why not get rid of it? If you have an author has an agenda to popularize or to persuade or to sell the Christian religion, why not pander to Roman and Jewish sensibilities why not get rid of it unless it's true? Mary says, I am like a female slave. I am vulnerable. My protection and security is totally bound up in the power of someone else who owns me. And then there's this, the language that she chooses for her lyrics. For example here, Mary talks about being in a low estate. Well, that was the characteristic language used to describe barren women in the Old Testament, being in a low estate, being barren, the crushing burden of, of not being able to have children. And in the ancient world, in those times, the, the vulnerability of perhaps being discarded, being cast aside, if you couldn't. Mary chooses to identify herself with these women they were part of what was called in the Hebrew, the Anawim. The Anawim. The Anawim in the Hebrew world was this class of pietistic God lovers who were poor, who were humble, who were afflicted. 
The Anawim were people who could not trust in their own strength, but who had to rely on God in utter confidence. They were the vulnerables. The vulnerables. Materially, socially, and spiritually. Now here's the irony. Mary is none of these things. Mary is not a handmaid. She is anything but barren. She is a young virgin who's just become pregnant without trying, who now has the honor of being the very caretaker of heaven's treasure. And yet she has chosen to see herself not as royalty, not as elite, not as aristocratic, but as a member of the Anawim. And what does that tell us? Well, two things for us this morning. Number one is this. Mary herself sees her dependence on God as of greater value than her elevated position in history. Mary sees her dependence on God as of greater value in her own life than any unique position that she has in history. Her dependence on God is the greatest thing, the greatest treasure that Mary possesses. And then number two, Mary tells us that you don't have to be poor in reality to see yourself as poor. You don't have to be barren in reality to see yourself as empty. You do, however, have to be able to look at people who are in the eyes of the world not as blessed as you are. And to be able to say as Mary does, these are my people. These are my people. I am qualitatively no different than them. And I can see the piety of the lowly, the piety of the afflicted, the piety of those who have suffered and who have had no recourse but to place their confidence in God. I can see the piety of, of desperate dependence, and this is the devotion that I want people to see in me, even if God calls me to steward the very treasure of heaven, wealth beyond imagination. You see, Mary's condition here is not tied to her honor. It's not tied to what other people eventually will come to say about her. It is tied to her dependence on God. What I want to say to you this morning is that it's so easy for us to get so caught up in what we might have to offer God that we often forget the offering that is most pleasing to him is to need him. The offering that is most pleasing to God is really to need him. And if you are here this morning and you feel unworthy, if you're with us this morning and you come to church and you feel like you don't measure up and you feel like you are here in a low estate and I want you to count yourself with Mary, you are ripe to know God. You are ripe where you sit to receive God. You are ripe to praise him because this is where God has historically worked in his world. Mary's condition is to see herself among the vulnerable, though blessed as she is. That's how she sees herself. But secondly, and most importantly, I want you to see where Mary's confidence comes from this morning. You know, as we read the hymn, for all the association with lowliness, I just want you to notice that the voice of this young woman is not insecure at all. Do you notice that? I think we often associate being lowly with being insecure. Does she sound apprehensive to you at all? Does she seem like in, in any way that she lacks confidence? 
Now, as vulnerable as she is as a young teenage woman who's not yet married, her vulnerability and her, her praise is pervaded by strength and by confidence. Where does it come from? Where does a lowly handmaiden seemingly alone in the world find poison strength like this? It's clear in the hymn. Mary's confidence comes from the Word of God. Mary's confidence comes from the Word of God as that Word is applied to her, as it is received by her. So a little homework if you're interested. I know you want homework on Christmas Eve because you have nothing else to do. At some point in the next week, tell you what, at some point in your life, I'll give you longer than that before it's due, take time to compare a to compare Mary's song here with the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2. It took place hundreds of years before. So in 1 Samuel, the Lord gives the once barren Hannah a child, and Hannah's resulting prayer of praise is almost identical to Mary's. That is not a coincidence. Mary knew Hannah's prayer because Mary knew the Word of God. Mary knew the hymns of praise in the Old Testament Psalms because Mary knew the Word of God. Mary knew the ways of God of old because Mary had apprenticed herself to His Word. In fact, I just want to point something out to you this morning. I want you to notice in the final lines of her song in verses 54 through 55, look at how she ends her song. She says, it seems so generic. God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Okay, upon learning that she will be the mother of the Messiah, this is her conclusion. And what's remarkable about it is that for all the blessedness that is given to Mary as the mother of Jesus, she has very little to say about her uniqueness or her individuality. What she celebrates instead is that she is part of the story that she has been listening to and trusting in her whole life. That God is blessing the world through this random guy in my past named Abraham. And Mary can sing with confidence because she has seen throughout this whole story of what she is merely a paragraph, a few sentences, a few verses, a chapter. She has seen how God has never failed in his mercy and provision in love. And she is confident because the word of God, this story of God, this is her word. It's her story. This God is her God, and she knows that she belongs to him. Recently, one of my children, we just went through a season of piano recitals. One of my children was struggling over his performance right before the recital. And they sit you up and you're waiting for your turn in public and we could see as he waited for his turn the distress was coming on. Tears were starting to fall. We could see the fear, the vulnerability. As a parent, all you want to do is go intercede at that moment and pluck him out. You don't have to do this. But it was good for him to muscle through it. He muscled through the waiting. He went to the piano and he nailed it. I got a chance to talk to him after, and, you know, I shared that, you know, I felt the same thing before. 
field all the time, and with the recital program in hand, I pointed to his song, his name, and I said, what is your name? And he read me his name. And then I said, you know, what was your name before you went to the piano to play it? And he said, he repeated it again. What's your name after? What's your name now? Same name, repeated it again. What would your name have been if you had missed every key? If you had made a mistake and totally ruined the song, if you had to get up embarrassed and run out, what would your name be then? It's the same. Do you know why your name stays the same? Because you are my son. Because you have my name. And that name does not change, depend on how you feel or how you perform or what others think about you in any given moment. It stays the same because you belong to me. It's who you are. You know, I think this is something that Mary knows in a much more secure way. Belonging as she does to Yahweh, the God who has given his name to his people, the one who has proclaimed his steadfast love to Mary through generations and now calls her favor and blessed by him. Begs a question for all of us. Who tells you your name? Who tells you your name? Where do you run for self-definition? Where do you go to to hear the truth about who you are? Is it your performance at work? Is it the well-being of your child who's doing, who's struggling the most at this point? Your status among your peers, your social media popularity, the assessment of your spouse, the progress you've made on your list of things to do, is it your own internal dialogue? For you personally, whose voice is the loudest, the clearest, the most memorable? For Mary, it is the voice of God in his word. And it is that voice coming through the ages It is that voice canonized in the scriptures that has freed her to say, in effect, I am weak, I am low, I am vulnerable, and yet I am utterly confident because I know to whom I belong. In fact, later in Luke's gospel, chapter 11, I believe it is, a woman in the crowd who's been following Jesus looks at Jesus and says, I mean, out of nowhere in the crowd, says, Blessed is the woman that bore you in the breasts at which you nursed. In other words, Jesus, blessed is this unique woman who is your mother. And Jesus replies, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That is not a knock. Jesus is not knocking his mom, okay? What Jesus is doing is getting at her true legacy for us. This is a woman who has heard the word of God and believed it and kept it and treasured it as the source of her identity and confidence. And that same blessing, that same story, those same words, the word of God inviting you, naming you, promising, loving you is for you as well. But even more, as Mary knows, it's not just what what God's word says that gives her confidence. It's what the word of God does. And notice in the hymn in verses 49 through 50 that Mary uses three descriptors of God in her song. Three descriptors. She calls God mighty. She calls him holy. She calls him merciful. 
Those aren't three random attributes. Those are the three attributes in the Old Testament that the Anawim needed God to be for them. The poor, the, the class of, of the desperate, needed God to be these things to know that they would never walk alone in vulnerability. They needed God's might to protect them. They needed his holiness to compel justice. They needed his mercy because they had nothing to offer in themselves. So earlier in the chapter, when the angel comes to Mary and announces that a baby's coming, do you know how the angel describes this new baby? He's mighty. He is the son of the most high. The child will be called holy. He is holy. You will give his name Jesus, which means rescue, or he is merciful. Mighty, holy, merciful, these attributes of God that the vulnerable needed in order to know that God was with them. Jesus, excuse me, the angel is telling Mary, these are no longer just words to be heard. In Jesus, these attributes actually become DNA. They take on flesh. They become body and blood. So that the mighty, the holy, the merciful one has become vulnerable and weak and poor and like us in every way. Opening himself up, as it were, to rejection and suffering. So that those of us who need God, those of us who need God, the vulnerable, will know for sure that we will never, ever, ever walk alone. I know that Advent and Christmas is a hard month for many people here. It's not just presence we feel, it's absence as well. People that we love, people that we want to love are missing. My wife's father, we've been married 15 years, died real suddenly our first year of marriage. He was 49 years old. And the whole year was incredibly hard, but it was, it was, it was Christmas that was the hardest without him there. It's very easy to feel alone this time of year. I heard a professor at Vanderbilt named Dr. Paul Lim use an illustration recently that has stuck with me. It may sound trivial to you this morning, but I found it incredibly helpful. <laughs> he was talking about one of the main soccer clubs over in England. I don't know if we have any soccer fans here. I know that, that we think of football a different way. But he was talking about one of the main soccer clubs in England in the Premier League named Liverpool. So Liverpool has a picture of a bird on their crest, and their mantra is, you'll never walk alone. One of the more popular clubs in the world, so if you want to watch something electrifying, if you want to watch something inspiring, Google the song, You'll Never Walk Alone, when you get home this morning, and you'll see stadiums, hundreds of thousands of people singing together, you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. And as trivial as that seems, to, to think of that in terms of a soccer match, to hear 100,000 people in a stadium Singing together, you'll never walk alone. And knowing that they won't fulfill that in any meaningful way when they exit the stadium. But just to hear them singing it, to feel it, to experience it will give you chills. It is unbelievably powerful. And yet in the gospel, as Mary well knows, the God of the universe doesn't merely chant it. He enacts it. God becomes vulnerable. He takes on flesh so that you will never walk 
alone. No matter who is missing in your life this morning, no matter how misunderstood you feel, no matter the rejection that you face, the fear lurking for you in the days to come, the eternal one, Mary says, the one who is mighty, the one who is holy, the one who is merciful, has taken on flesh, born of a virgin, like you in every way, so that you will never walk alone. It is here in our weakness that God has come, and he is with us. And Mary says, it is this that should cover us. This that should enable confidence no matter how weak we feel. This that it should enable us to be the people that God has called us to be transformed into his image. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your servant Mary this morning. We thank you for your love for us and your son and the good news that has come through her. We do pray now that you would Father, that you would uh, seal your word upon our own hearts, Lord. That you would help us to receive it even as Mary did, to think on it, to ponder it, to, to follow you, to know that our identity comes from you in every way, oh God. Lord, we pray that we would be able to see ourselves, have the courage to see ourselves among the vulnerable, and to see you coming for us in those places to rescue us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.